Well, good morning, friends. Don't those new spaces look great? Awesome. We're excited about them. Can't wait. Yeah, if you got your Bibles and you haven't turned there, turn to Exodus 35. And this morning as we uh, dive in uh, to this weekend, uh, we're going to go back a little bit so we can actually go forward. Uh, we're going to look back and, and see really what was going on with God and the children of Israel. And we're going to kind of march through the Old Testament to get us prepared for where we're going and what God wants to do in us but what he wants to do through us in this church. And so if you know anything about what was happening at this time, um, this is one of my, my favorite scriptures in Exodus 35 when it said the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence. And I love this line. I have it underlined, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the sacred garments. And everyone who was willing. It was a willingness it was an obedience. It wasn't out of compulsion. It was because God had done something in them that he wanted to do something through them, and, and they gave. But in Exodus 33, um, God was kind of fed up with these people. Uh, if you know anything, you go back earlier, and they were on their mass exodus out of Egypt. And as they were on this exodus, uh, Moses had freed them, and they were on the journey, and they're kind of in the middle of nowhere, and they're hanging out. And um, they're kind of a stiff-necked people, God called them in chapter 33. And he said, listen, I'm getting ready to take them to the promised land, but I might not go with them. I'm kind of tired of you people. And you keep disobeying me and keep doing your own thing. And he said, Moses kind of went and said, hey, you might want to just take a step back, God. Can you do that if he can say that to God? And I guess he kind of did in his own words and just said, would you just kind of take it easy? Um, we might be stiff-necked, but we want to love you. And so God began to have this relationship with them, and, and they were on this journey, and, and they took off, and it said everyone who was willing that they were going to build this place for God, and God was going, okay, you can build that place, but I'm not going to be confined or contained to a place because I'm God, and I am everywhere, and I am always, and I always will be, and, he, and, and yet they built this tent, and it said everything, everybody brought everything they had, and they gave willingly to build this tent where the Ark of the Covenant was and where the presence of God was. And after they had been freed, in Exodus 34, and God had, had relented, and he wasn't going to take them out, and he said, I'm not going to destroy you. Here's what it says in Exodus 34, verse 10. He said, the Lord says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Before all your people, I'm going to do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do. I love that. The people you live among will see how awesome I am. How much uh, I am going to do, the work that I'm going to do is going to blow them away. And in this section, he begins to land out about 600 commandments. Now, we know them as the Ten Commandments. He, Moses brought us the cliff notes on the two tablets, but there were about 600 commandments that were going on. But there were 10 that we got when the Ten Commandments. But in this chapter, in chapter 34, he says, hey, listen, be careful with treaties that you make with people. Honor your word. Don't make any idols and don't worship anything else other than God. He said, I want you to celebrate because celebration is a big part of what we do. So we're going to have festivals and we're going to party and this is going to be good. In verse 20 of chapter 34, he says, but I don't want anybody when you come to worship me to come empty handed. I want you to come with something. I want you to come with a sacrifice unto me. Then he lays out here again, hey, six days of work, one day of rest. You guys get six days and you get to have a day of Sabbath and you get to rest in verse 21. He said, don't offer any blood sacrifices. And what he was doing was he was repeating and reminding them of all that the commandments that he had given them. But the number one commandment that was given to Moses back in Exodus 34, to me, verse 26, was this. He says, bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. 
In a minute, you're going to see the very first commandment. But I love this, right in the middle of all the celebration, right in the middle of all the things that you shouldn't do, right in the middle of the Sabbath, he just says, hey, let me just remind you, bring me your first fruits. If you don't come empty-handed, I want you to come with something great, and that's your first fruits. Uh, my wife and I have had many conversations in the last few weeks about money, um, and we normally don't do that because she does the money and the bills, and I don't do anything because I'm not very good at that, so I just let her do it, and she does a great job, and she's taking care of our family, and for 25 years, you've got somebody who does the finances, and they're better than you. You let them do it, right? That's why we got a whole finance office of nine or ten people. I have nothing to do with money, just so you know. I just try and raise it, and they take care of it. I don't sign checks. I don't do anything here, and that's the best because you got people that steward it and do it well. Well, my wife does it well for our home, and so we've had conversation about money because we have three kids in um, private school, our choice. Okay, we know that. Two of them are in college now, ridiculously expensive. Anyone else agree? Yes, crazy expensive. And then our daughter's at Olu. And so we're trying to figure out how do we do this? We've saved a little bit. We thought we were doing really good. Um, God has taken care of our family over and over again. And so we've just had conversation about money. Madi's going back to work. We're doing some other things. We're going, how do we make all this budget work? in our household. I know none of you have ever had that conversation. Um, your expenses just might be a little bit more than what's coming in, and you got to adjust. Anybody adjust ever in their life? Okay, good. Five of you, thanks. And so as we adjusted, um, and as we are changing a little bit in our household, uh, there's one conversation that never came up, and I, I told her this yesterday. You know, the one thing we've talked about in finances over these last couple months, the one thing we've never talked about is our giving to God. Because it was a non-negotiable in our house. It's not even on the table to be adjusted. Because her and I decided when we first got married that everything that God has given us is his. And so we give him of our first fruits. We've done it since the very first day we've been married, and we've not stopped since. And we're not going to adjust or change that because we have more expenses now. We believe there's other things that need to be adjusted, not that. Because God comes and he says, listen, I want you to understand something. Bring my first fruits. Everything that you make, whatever you do, will you give me your best? And that's what he's asking. That's honestly what it means when God says, hey, will you surrender your life to me? And we say, yeah, we'll surrender, God. We got everything. We're giving it all to you. Except this. Or except this. Whatever it might be in your life. For some of you, money's not an idol. For some of you, possessions aren't an idol. But for some of you, it has become an idol because it's taken the place of God. An idol is just something that becomes more important to God in you in your life. And you begin to worship it even though you don't know you're worshiping it. And I was grateful that I looked at her yesterday morning. I said, can I share this? She said, sure, you can share this. And I said, awesome. We haven't had a conversation about cheating God. And we shouldn't. We are a pastor, but we're no different than you. And he comes and he says, let me remind you, here's all the important things I want to tell you, but Bring the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. And part of putting God first is putting everything else in its proper place. And when God tells you or commands you, he says, I'm going to blow you away with how I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to blow you away with what everybody else is going to see because it's not going to make any sense. But when you do it, I'm going to do something for you. I don't know how it works. I just know I stand here. 25 years later, uh, we celebrated our 25th anniversary this week, and we had no money to do anything, so we just went out to a really nice restaurant and had a great dinner, and it was awesome. 25 years of marriage, and we look back and we're like, if I would have told you we'd be sitting here 
with a house, three kids in school, no car payments, no debt except the house. Would you have taken that? <laughs> I mean, when we were just starting out, if we had told you we would be sitting right here in Laguna Beach looking at the ocean and God's creation and having an amazing dinner and we have no debt, we just have a house payment and our three kids have lived like they've lived and we've had an amazing church, would you have taken that? We both just said over and over and over again. And the only thing I keep coming back to is we just made a decision from day one that God was going to be first in our home. And I wish I could tell you every day that we made a decision every day to make him a priority. We haven't because we're human beings. But I promise you we've done our best to put him first. And he says, listen, everybody, here's what it means to surrender. You put me first, I'm going to take care of you. And he goes on. Earlier when those tablets came down from Mount Sinai in Exodus 20, verse 2 and 3, in the Cliff Notes version, here was the first one he said. God said, I'm the Lord your God. Let me just remind you what I did for you. Remember me? I'm the one that brought you out of slavery. You're the ones that keep disobeying me. I'm the ones that freed you. I'm the ones that rescued you. You shall have no other gods before me. And if you remember anything about the Ten Commandments, he comes down off the mountain in Mount Sinai, and the people say, we're in we're all in, God. We've seen what you can do. We know you freed us. We watched the Red Sea split. We are all in because you are God, and we are not messing with God. But it didn't take long before their humanity and their habits set in once again, and they began to do their own thing. And they couldn't live without what they had lived with for so long, their little G-gods. And so Moses was up on Mount Sinai, and he's hanging out with God, and, and he's taking too long for their liking. So they're all looking around, and they, they look at, their, uh, at Moses' right-hand man, and he said, hey, we need your help. Aaron, Moses is taking way too long, and, and we need a visible uh, representation of a God. Why don't you do something? And so what does Aaron do? He listens to the people, and he says, all right, bring me all your jewelry. And they make this golden calf, and they make these idols, and they begin to worship their idols again while Moses is up meeting with God. <laughs> they couldn't sustain their belief in what they could not see. And it was as if they were saying yes with their mouths, but they were saying no with their actions, and it proved different because Moses was up there, and he's meeting with God, and he's having this conversation, and the presence of the Lord was all on him. It says when he came down, he was so radiant, they couldn't even look at him. Yet they had taken their jewelry, and they'd given up so quickly on God because he wasn't acting in their time and in their way. And I'm going to guess Moses came down and said, what in the world are you guys doing? Are you kidding me? Aaron, you're fired. <laughs> not my right-hand man anymore. I mean, come on. You were supposed to take care of them, and they are to worship God. Remember what they said. God reminded them, I freed you. I've taken care of you. I've rescued you. You shall have no other gods before me. And that's when God's going, seriously, you're going to go to the promised land, but I might not go with you because you guys are driving me a little bit nuts. But God remains faithful even when his people were faithless. And time marches on. Children get to... Uh, the promised land. They make it there. They receive all that God has for them still. But over time, we found out God didn't do it for them. The idols didn't do it for them. And so what did they say? Hey, we want to be like everybody else. Every other nation has a king. And so we want to be like them. We, we don't have an earthly king. We just have the king of kings, but we want an earthly king. And so 
1 Samuel chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can fast forward there. There's this prophet named Samuel. Samuel was the one now in this season that was speaking to God, and he was speaking on behalf of the people. And they come to the prophet, and they say, we want a king. And Samuel the prophet was frustrated, and he felt rejected because he said, seriously, we have the king of kings. But he goes to God, and here's what God says to him in verse 7 of chapter 8. Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they've rejected, but they've rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day. Forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his right. So Samuel hears from God, he goes back and he tries to scare the king out of them, but their selfishness and their desire to fit in was way too much and it got the best of them. And Samuel, we want a king. We already told you. Just give us what we want. And Samuel listened. And he told them, listen up, if you get a king, he's going to take and he's going to take and he's going to take. And they said, we don't care, we just want to be like everybody else. And so God allowed them to have a king, and many of you know who that king was. It was King Saul. And Saul took, and he took, and he took, and he took. He was everything they thought they wanted until they got him as king. But that didn't matter. In 1 Samuel 8, verse 20, they said, it doesn't matter because then, then we're going to be like all the other nations. We got a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. Once again, how quickly they forgot the words of the Lord, the King of Kings. I'm going to go out before all of you and I'm going to do wonders that people in all nations and all over the world have never seen before. And yet they went, yeah, I don't know that I'm going to believe that, God. And they gave in. Let me just remind all of us who are followers of Jesus today. In this time, in the Old Testament, that God was preparing his people, God's intention was not for his people to live and to act and to give like other people. His intention was his, for his people to be set apart and to be different. They were to stand out, and they weren't supposed to give in to the status quo. They weren't to be like everybody else, but that was their desire and God let them in free will have their desire. Saul was a horrible king. And he took and he took and he took and then he imploded. If you know the story, King David now is the king and he is reigning. And he meets with the resident prophet of this day. And that resident's prophet is Nathan. And he says, Nathan, look, man, I got this amazing palace I'm living in. And God is living in a tent. And that was the tent, that was the tabernacle that they had raised all the money for, and it was this place where the Ark of the Covenant was. And he goes, I'm living in a palace, God's living in a tent. We need to build him a temple. And he says, hey, go talk to God and see what God says. And so Nathan has a conversation with God, and God tells him in 2 Samuel chapter 7, listen to this, I've not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So God basically says, what are you talking about? I don't need a house. I'm not asking for a house. I don't need anything better than you. I'm fine because guess what? I'm not contained to the tent. I'm everywhere. 
and I am with you. So I don't need a place for me to be housed. God's plan was never to live in a temple. It was to live in the hearts and the souls of his people. But 2 Samuel verse seven, uh, chapter uh, 7, verse 8, Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Hey, let me tell you who you are, David. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people. I've been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I'm going to make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. He didn't even address the temple anymore. He didn't tell him, don't build it. He said, I'm way more interested in building you and the character of who you are and putting my spirit within you to lead people than I am than building a palace for me. David, I'm going to make your name great. It's not about a temple. It's not about my space. I am everywhere. I am with you, and I am going before you. And then David comes, and he moves on, and he just says, hey, okay, thanks, God. I'm going to build you a temple anyway. And he goes on with his own plans, and he gets everything ready, and he gets all the construction workers, and everything's ready to go. But God says, you got too much blood on your hands. You're not going to be the guy that finishes this temple. And David moves on, and his son Solomon takes over, and he begins the work on this temple. And 20 years later, it's completed. And then Solomon, in some ways, invites God to come in and move into the temple as if God needed an invitation. And so this elaborate, beautiful temple is built. But he says to Solomon, listen, I don't care about the temple. I don't care about this space. I care about you people. And if you disobey me, and if you don't follow my commands, and you don't put me first, and you don't honor me, here's what's going to happen. 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 8 and 9. This temple, it's going to be a heap of rubble. And all who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and this temple? And people will answer because they have forsaken the Lord their God who brought their ancestors out of Egypt and they've embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why the Lord brought all this disaster on them. Do you understand that the temple was not God's plan? A man-made king was not God's plan. God allowed it to happen. It was his permissible will, but in the beginning it wasn't his perfect will. But with free will, he allowed us human beings to make these decisions. And temples were built and kings were put in place because they did not put first God and have no other gods before them. And so the structure and the process of the Old Testament leads us to where we are today. And I think it's always good to look back and remind ourselves why we do the things we do and who we do them for. Because we can lose focus and we can lose priority and we can lose perspective and we put things in front of God and we don't even know that we're worshiping those things, but they have become an idol to us. Think about it when you try and maybe move a church from one location to another. Churches that close down, it's more about the building than it is about the presence of God. Yet the presence of God has gone out of the church a long time ago, and this building's just sitting there, but people don't want to let go of the building. And God said, wait a minute, it's never about a building. It's always about me. Don't forget it. And we come to this place and this space and this time, and we're two weeks away from celebrating 107 years. 
And God has been faithful over and over and over and over again. And that's why I said, if you were here a couple weeks ago, once you turn 100, you've got to celebrate every year because that's a pretty big milestone. And we might as well just have a celebration because we're 107 and most churches are dead at 100 or 75 or even 50. But we're alive and our best days are ahead of us. Why? I think it's because we want to do what the people did 107 years ago. We want to make sure everyone understands and knows what the foundation of this church is and why we do what we do. It has nothing to do with this building. I was sitting in a meeting um, the other day and we were talking about the denomination and 40 churches and 35 properties that we have and, and, and I looked at somebody and I think I shocked him and I said, look, if God told us to sell this facility, I don't know if the elders would let it happen, but let's sell it in a heartbeat. And some of you are like, what? Yeah. Why? It's not ours. It's God's. If we could do double the work that we could and have a different size building and pay off the little bit of debt that we have and send missionaries around the world and plant hundreds of churches, I'd sell this building in a heartbeat. You know why? It's meaningless unless Jesus is here. It's meaningless unless we honor him in everything that we do. This picture sits on my wall of my uh, office. And it's in my temporary office. It's going to move from there to my new office that has no pictures and no windows. And it's going to be awesome. And I can't wait. But that's a picture of this building. And if you've been here a while, you've seen it. And I'll keep reminding us because history is a great teacher. That's right where that TV screen is where the what if sign is hanging. And I came into this building in this space when this church was at a really low point. And I said, what if we don't build this thing? What if we, don't, what if we have to tear it down? What's everybody going to look on and say that, about our God if we didn't build it? And a bunch of you rallied when I became the senior pastor and rallied to pay. Uh, we raised almost $7 million in 90 days. $7 million in 90 days, it was 6.9, and about a year and a half later, we had almost $9 million that was given to this thing, and you built this church. Think about it. And I said, what if? And every time I walk in here, and every Christmas Eve and every Easter, I'll do the same thing, because I'll sit right there, and at most services, I'll look around, and this place will be packed, and I begin to tear up, because I am reminded of the day that I walked in here, and I just sat on this stage, when it was just concrete, and the rafters were open, and I said, God, you got to show up, because there is no way that any one person could build this building and complete it, but I'm going to keep showing up, and I'm going to come in day after day, and I'm going to ask for people to give, and God did something. And the what if became a what now. But I didn't want that scripture to be us when God said to them, listen, if you don't obey my commands, this temple's going to be just a house of rubble. And now we look and we go, why the pavilion? Why do we get to build this new space and add on just a few years later? Because you right now are going to be blessed by a new community space and new kids space for the next generation. And we're going to be blessed by offices because of that generation that gave and gave freely. And we sold a piece of property, and we've been able to build most of that building without any money uh, asking of you, because we've had it in the bank. So almost six, seven million dollars, 
is going into these three spaces that we've even not even come to do a campaign because this church has been great stewards of your money. And so why the pavilion? Because we just believe many more people need to know that Jesus is king. This week on Twitter, I was reading, and it's a bad place most of the time, but I, I have a, a lot of sports teams that I follow on Twitter, and that's the best part. But all of a sudden, something came across that just talked about Kanye West has a new album called Jesus is King. And I don't know what you think about Kanye. I don't care about that. But um, he became a believer. Uh, he was on Jimmy Kimmel this week. Uh, I saw a pastor wrote, you can judge him if you want, but he goes, I just want to say I'm the sinner of sinners. I am the worst. That's what this pastor said. And he just left it at that. And I went, that's a pretty good statement. I don't know if he's a full-on believer. I don't know what he is, but he's on Jimmy Kimmel. And, and he said, tell me uh, about what's going on. And he said, I'm a Christian. And he said, do you consider yourself a Christian artist? He said, I consider myself a Christian everything. Just a Christian. So he has this new album called Jesus is King. And one of his buddies, KB, wrote this um, this week on Twitter. He said, a culture that is on the verge of great breakdown is also on the verge of a great awakening. Pray God would send the latter, and we will continue to hope, pray, and remain faithful regardless of the outcome. Hashtag HGA. Hashtag Jesus is King. HGA stands for His glory alone. And what the crazy thing is, whatever and however Kanye lives from here out, Jimmy Kimmel said the name of his album at least five times on ABC with Jimmy Kimmel and Kanye West. And he said, Kanye's got a new album out called Jesus is King. 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 Five times. Why are we here? Because Jesus is king. And we've been called to become this community of authentic Christ followers. And we are compelled to change the world. And as Jesus is our king, this pavilion is built, make no mistake, for his glory and his honor. And as you look at the cross that went up last week, we made sure that the foundation of this building was tied into the cross. And that cross stands high. And that cross secures our foundation and the foundation of this church. That cross is 70 feet high from the foundation and 20 feet wide. And it shines the light of Jesus Christ for all to see. And as we awaken to his presence early in the morning, and as darkness covers the light of day on this place at sunset, his light through that cross will shine forth from Friends Church and be a sign to all who will see that Jesus is King. There was a man, I was away last week, as I said, when the cross was going up, and I wasn't here, and videos started coming to me of the cross going up, and I was overwhelmed just a little bit. And Matt Luke, one of the guys I was traveling with, um, one of his buddies took a picture of the cross at night, and he doesn't even go to church here, but here's what he said. He said, I had an absolutely wonderful experience tonight. This is on Facebook as I'm leaving work. I went out to my car, and it was very dark, but across the way was this beautiful cross. I drove over closer to it, 
And there were some men still working there after dark. I said to them, I've never seen this cross before. And they told me that it had just been lighted the night before. It was at least, here's what he said, 150 to 200 feet tall. I love it. <laughs> and I stood there for a little bit and I just looked at it. He said it was a beautiful experience for me. This beautiful cross is at the Friends Church in Yorba Linda. And if you live in the area, I think you'll receive a blessing just by driving there at night. By the pavilion. Because Fringe Church is committed to spiritually awakening people to God's love and God's grace, God's mercy around the corner and around the world. And as we continue to pursue that goal, we are going to intentionally create spaces and places for people to find community and connect with God and connect with each other. And today, here's what I'm doing. I'm inviting you to have a part in finishing and furnishing this space so many more of your family and your friends and your neighbors in our city can awaken to God's love and his grace and his purpose for their life. I'm inviting you to help finish the space by giving of your finances so we can furnish this pavilion. We can finish the space for the next generation and we can build our new office space. And I'm asking you to complete what others started 107 years ago. And some have already stepped up and helped us reach that goal. And as I was out of town last week, um, another person that we were with showed the, the cross to, and, and he just said, hey, how much money did that cross cost? And I said, well, you want the, like the whole foundation part? Because that's the whole part that's holding up that entire building. Um, or do you just want the metal cross? He goes, let's just go with the metal cross. And I said, well, that's a good idea, because the foundation part was really, really, really expensive. And he asked me two or three times on the trip how much it cost. And um, I said, I'll get back to you. And, and he, he told me Friday when I was with him, he said, I was literally begging you for to, to tell me. Uh, but I was with him on Wednesday, and um, I said, hey, I got the number on the cross. And I said, it was $31,000 for the metal part of the cross. And, and he grabbed my shoulders, and he goes, that cross is mine. I'm buying that cross for my family. And he said, I want to drive on to this campus Every time I come, and I want to know that there's going to be something that lives way beyond me. And I want to know that my family got to be a part of telling the story of Jesus' love and his hope. That cross is mine. And then he just started crying, and he hugged me, and I started crying. And I just said, thank you. Today, um. We gave you a card when you came in. And this card, I'd love for you to take it if you have it and just look at it. Uh, it tells what I already said. And we're just going to start a little campaign for the next four weeks. And so how is this Awaken campaign going to work? Well, we're going to ask you uh, to give. And some of you, there's going to be three different ways. Uh, we have a registry like you do at a wedding. And so if you were here when we furnished this place, um, some of you bought these chairs, some of you bought TVs, some of you bought cameras, some of you bought children's toys, some of you brought, um, you know, light fixtures, whatever it was. We had it all out there and you just bought it. And so we have a registry. So you can go online to um, friends.church slash awaken 
and there's the registry, and you can look at all the items, and you can just click. And so there, the items are going to come up here on the screen. I'll show you what it looks like. But it's just like there. You can get the Wedge Collection Sofa End Unit. You can just buy that little end unit. It's $1,682. I don't know why it's so expensive, but it is. But you can buy that. Here's why I do know. Um, like you have a house that five or six people live in. We have a house that like seven or 8,000 people come in each and every week. And so we got to buy really nice stuff so it'll actually last. Uh, so that's probably why it's that expensive. But um, if you want to buy that, you can buy it. There's a blender. If you want a blender, you can buy a blender. Some of you love coffee, so why don't you buy the coffee machine? You can buy that. There's chairs, there's toys, there's bikes, there's office equipment. Oh, there's an LED screen that's going in here, okay? And we have the money sitting in the bank, but some of you might want to buy it. Um, it's $63,000. So if you want to write that check today, that's really cool. Um, I could probably sell the cross three or four more times, I know. Uh, but I got to draw the line. I'm just selling that once. But it, if you have that, there was some person that lost their check last night. Val Selvig told me that they, they lost their check and it was blank. <laughs> and I was like... Oh, we could just fill in the 63000 for the LED screen. That would be awesome. She laughed. You probably wouldn't if it was your check. But um, we got it back to the person. Don't worry. So uh, whatever it is, here's the deal. I don't care about the, the, the money. is not the part. It's participation. I'm just going to ask, and here's my goal, that we would have 100% participation. 100% is a lot. But there's items on there like $1.75. Don't everybody go to that item, please. <laughs> That'd really stink. But you need to know something else. Also, you need to know we already have this money put away. Okay, we're not coming because we need the money. You need we're coming because we really want you to be a part. In 29 years, uh, I've been here. And the reason that scripture, when it says, those who were willing and whose hearts were moved, I just want to be a willing participant and I want to willingly give to the place that I love. I want to willingly give to the place that I call home. I want to willingly give. So when I walk in that place, I can say, that's my blender. <laughs> my blender. And you're not getting any plaques and no names are going anywhere. This is God's church. And it's his house. But I want you to drive into this campus and I want you to know that you are a part of something bigger than yourself. I want you to know that because you gave, somebody's heart might be awakened to the heart of Jesus Christ for the very first time. That's not a coffee shop. We're not building a building to be like everybody else. We're not building another coffee shop. Good grief, I could walk to 25 within the area. We're building a spiritual place to connect people with God and with each other. And if he awakened your soul here, you might have a chance to awaken somebody else's. And I just promise you, sometimes it's over a cup of coffee. Sometimes it's over a conversation. Sometimes it's somebody driving down your Belinda Boulevard and seeing a cross. I don't know what brought you to this place, but we stand here today on the shoulders and of the hearts of people who gave. And I'm just going to ask you, would you willingly give? So the first way is you go online and you buy an item. And you can do that at home pretty easy. 
Second thing is, some of you don't want to deal with that, and I get that. Um, you might get frustrated with the internet, so that's good. You could just write a check. And down in the corner, just put Awaken. And it'll go towards all that stuff. Or the third one is, if you have cash. But over the next three or four weeks, we're going to do it, because some of you need to go home and pray about it. Because I don't want you doing it out of compulsion. I don't want you to do it out of guilt. I want you to do it willingly. And I actually want you to do it on a smile with your face. And if it's going to take you a couple weeks to do it with a smile on your face, then go home and take time. But ask God, God, what do you want me to do? What am I hanging on to that's got a hold of me that I actually could give away? My daughter started selling some stuff on eBay. She started making a little bit of money. Some of you got some stuff. Some of you got storage units of stuff that you could sell. And you could give it to God. Because it ain't going with you. But this place is going to stand. And the foundation is secure, and it is Jesus and Jesus alone, because Jesus is our King. Would you stand with me? So we're going to take an offering. So if you stood and you want to give a check, you're going to write standing up. <clears throat> if you got cash, it's easier to get to. If you're going to take that home, I'd love for you to take it home and to pray about it. But I want to close with this scripture. Exodus 40, verse 34. It says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tent. You know, one of the definitions of a pavilion is this. It is a tent, especially a large and elaborate one. I am praying that the glory of the Lord would cover the pavilion. And then when you walk onto this campus, that there is a spiritual moment that happens. And that God's presence is felt and seen and experienced because it is only he and his spirit in us that changes people's hearts. So Father, this morning, would you awaken our souls? God, thank you that you uh, have given us the privilege in this place to do something that is way beyond ourselves. Thank you for the generations that have given so we can sit in this building. And God, I want to just thank you that, as the song says, there's a place where mercy reigns, and it never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide, where all the love I've ever found comes like a flood. And then it comes flowing down. At the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I am in awe of you. Where your love, Jesus, ran red and my sins were washed white, I owe it all to you. Here, right now on this moment on holy ground, here I bow down. Here my arms are open wide. Here you save my life. I owe it all to you, Jesus, because in you, hope has a name. So God, would you awaken our souls so others might be awakened to your love? God, would we cheerfully, as it says in 2 Corinthians 9, give. 
God, would we cheerfully go online and look? And may we not see a soap dish or a coffee dispenser or a chair or a ridiculous price sofa or some building blocks or a little tricycle. But we, may we just see it as a, a bridge, an opportunity to willingly furnish your home so that others might find their eternal home. And God, may there be no mistake when people drive on here what we're about. Jesus is our king. Jesus is our king. And we will proclaim his name and his name alone. We love you. I thank you for friends. And I thank you for this act of worship as we give, as we prepare, and as we find hope only in your name, Jesus. And it's in that powerful, matchless, hope-filled name we pray these things. Amen.